Hello, I'm Sandrine Merle and it's my pleasure to invite you to travel with me on my jewelry journeys. Through these audio adventures, you will discover key figures in the jewelry world. So settle back and enjoy the Jewelry Wood podcast. For this first episode, I'm in Venice with Alberto Nardi from the third generation of Nardi jewelers. In his historic shop in Saint-Marc Square, he tells us about the Moretti, a specialty of the house and an emblematic figure of Venice. Today, this Jules finds itself at the heart of controversy in the English-speaking world. Hello, Alberto Nardi. You are a prominent Venetian jeweler and you have acquired a great international reputation in Moretti brooches, which are part of this Venetian heritage. How did it start? It's a funny story because, you know, the Moretti uh, is not something that we invented. And as I said, my grandfather was not Venetian, was Florentine. But uh, uh, this tradition of doing this kind of uh, very peculiar kind of object that is uh, resembling a, a moor, of course, it's very linked with the tradition of Venice. Venice was a getaway between east and west, north and south, And when my father came here, he started to reproduce these items. And uh, especially after the Second War II, he became very famous uh, for these uh, pieces. And he started to design for every uh, important clients that came to us, you know, one of these. So now we have an archive of sketches and we have pieces that take the name of these uh, very famous clients. Can you tell me more about the origin of the Moretti? Yeah, the origin is uh, uh, linked with the fashion that we had in Venice. Venice, but also in France, uh, in 18th and 19th century, uh, the, the very famous fashion called uh, l'orientalismo or le turquerino. This uh, wave and love for everything that was in the Middle East or, or in the Far East uh, was linked with the dream of, uh, you know, of places that where you can have a sort of a freedom and everything. And uh, as I said, you know, Venice was in a certain way the gate between these two worlds and uh, you know from this uh, concept uh, came out of course uh, uh, the tradition of uh, reproducing you know this kind of more it is also true that you know uh, in in the old time the Venetian merchant they used to go through the so famous uh, silk road in you know reaching you know middle and far east so I mean uh, we have a lot of link with that word and from all these different ideas came out you know the tradition of reproducing these pieces as jewels. Could you describe precisely one of them displayed in your shop? These pieces, uh, first of all, I have always to say they are not Afro-American as we think. They are, you know, Middle Eastern uh, figure. We call also them prints in a certain way. Uh, they have a turban that is uh, set with a lot of stones. As I said, we have different models. Uh, some of them are richer, other are less important. But what is uh, very important and what we have always to say that all the pieces are completely handmade. Uh, they're very peculiar, very different from the classic uh, tradition of pieces of jewelry that we see around now. Uh, but for this reason, they are very unique. 
They have a turban. They have the turban for sure, all of them, and they have different bodies. Uh, some of the bodies uh, sometimes are made of, uh, of a single stone. We did, for example, a line that was made uh, starting from beautiful, bold pieces of fire opal, for example, or coral or whatever. Uh, but the very classical one that we call uh, Paola, because the first one was made for the former queen of Belgium or the Elizabeth Taylor one, they have a body made in gold uh, with some diamonds. Where can we see a very, very old Moretti for, in a museum, for instance? As I say, the, the, the most ancient ones are the one of the 30s. But the famous period was after the second two, especially during the period of the La Dolce Vita, you know, in Italy in the 50s, 60s, when these, uh, you know, uh, rich and prominent clients used to come to Venice or participating at the Venice uh, Film Festival or whatever. We have a couple of them at the Museum of Jewelry in Vicenza that is going to reopen in a couple of months. We participate to some exhibition like in Milan and whatever. So, as I said before, I mean, the, 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 the most ancient one are the one of the 30s. Can you tell me more about the archives? How many sketches do you have? A couple of books of sketches of my grandfather and my father too. It's funny to say that we were very attached by this tradition, of course, but we had great loss due to the famous, unfortunately, aqua alta high tides in the city of Venice, especially in the 66. We had a lot of books and foreign shoes that were completely destroyed by the aqua, the water inside of the store. And uh, we have to say that also in the 2019, we had problems with the high tides in the shop, of course. So our archives were a little bit, uh, you know, destroyed by this. But of course, we can have a look of the books of my grandfather. So recently, the Moretti has drawn criticism for its alleged racism. And is it the starting point of your reinterpretation or your reinvention of the Moretti? Yeah, this is a Funny and sad story. I mean, funny because, uh, I mean, up to us as Venetian look crazy. I mean, this concept. As I said before, Venice uh, was uh, a melting pot of different cultures, was a sort of, uh, you know, New York of the Middle Age, of the Renaissance time. We had community of Jews, of Turkish, of German. I mean, and everybody was living here in a very liberal way. I mean, it was one of the most liberal city in the old times. So, I mean, to be accused uh, to be racist is a little bit funny. So, Sad because uh, tell us how, you know, the culture is uh, interpreted in one way. I mean, unfortunately, the problem of the racial issue is, uh, is very linked with certain countries, uh, of course, not with Italy. And so, I mean, there are certain countries in a certain way that impose, you know, a vision that must be the same all over the world, you know, in a certain way. We have to tell the story to a lot of clients. Some of them, they are very very cultivated, so I mean, they don't care at all. Some others, you know, they say, ah, but they are not politically correct. I always answer that, you know, the Moretti up to me, they are the most politically correct pieces because, as I said before, they are prints. I mean, they are not slaves. And uh, could you tell us uh, the story about Meghan Markle and the Duchess of Kent? 
The, the problem is that there was this party, you know, at Buckingham Palace uh, where Meghan Markle was presented to the royal family and uh, the Duchess of Kent was wearing, uh, actually was one of our pieces. And uh, once again, it's funny to say that, you know, that morning I received, I don't want to say hundred, but many phone calls from journalists uh, from all over the world, especially from the Anglo-Saxon world, like uh, Australia or, you know, New Zealand and whatever, Ask me about this uh, scandal, you know, and I didn't know anything at all. It is funny to me to answer to something that is far, far away from my view, of course, and from what I am. So uh, it's like justify yourself or something that you have never done. So once again, it was funny and sad at the same time. How did you reinvent the, the Moretti? Did you, did you do a white one, for instance? And not a white one, because uh, that would be stupid, you know, uh, up to me. Uh, what I'm trying to do is uh, to develop this tradition in something new. Uh, we are going to present this year, that is a symbolic year for many reasons, a new line of, uh, of object that we are going to call I Veneziani, Le Venetien, or the Venetian. It's, it's, a, it's a word that sounds very well, you know, it's not linked with the moor or whatever, And uh, it's a line of pieces where the faces are carved on natural amber. Amber uh, was a material. First of all, I mean, amber is a very beautiful material, very light, is a natural resin, of course. And amber uh, was a material that uh, was used in the 50s a lot by my grandfather. So I wanted to have something that was linked with our tradition, first of all. Second, I wanted, uh, and I am trying to create, you know, pieces that are at least much more beautiful than the classic Moretto. And the third concept is the fact of going away completely from the ethnical issue and enter just in the aesthetic issue. The ethnical issue is not something up to me. I'm not a politician. If you want, we discuss for one hour about, you know, the, the so-called politically correctness or whatever. I have my thought, but I mean, it's not important. I want to be judged or I want to be considered as a jeweler. So uh, the piece must be buy or not, just because it's beautiful or not. So I don't want to enter, I don't want to avoid, you know, possible sale, just because it's not politically correct. Which are your favorite stones? First of all, I have to say that I'm a gemologist from GIA, you know, and uh, when I finished my courses in the United States, I was young, you know, and uh, I dreamt about, you know, Marco Polo, you know, that actually Marco Polo, that was a Venetian, was also a gem dealer. I mean, he was buying stones in the Far East and bringing back to Europe. So, I mean, I had all this dream, you know, in my mind. So I met some people, some broker at the GIA in Los Angeles, and I started to travel, you know, to buy Colostone. So I've been many times to Colombia or to Burma or to Sri Lanka, of course, Bangkok and whatever, to buy stones. And uh, it was a fantastic period, I have to say. So answering your question, you know, my favorite stone uh, is the one linked with my first adventure trip that was in Colombia. So, I mean, emerald up to me when they are beautiful. They are the most beautiful stone uh, ever. Who are the buyers of uh, Moretti? In the old time, all. 
Everybody was coming to Venice. You know, they had a luxury souvenir of Venice. It was the souvenir of Venice. Now, of course, we have more difficulties to sell them to Anglo-Saxon, especially. And it's a pity. But we still sell a lot of them to others. Before the pandemic, we had one of the best years in terms of sale in the shop. A lot of Spanish, the Latinos, so-called, all the also Central and South American, but also Austrian and, and whatever. The people, the collectors, they know that if they want to have something that is different, they have to buy, you know, a piece of as a Moretto. I would like to know more about uh, the ancient tradition of goldsmith production dating back to the 11th century in Venice. Can you tell me about this period, this age? Venice is a city that was built in the middle of, uh, of the sea in a certain way. And I always consider that a sort of a, a dream because, you know, this Venetian, the first one, of course, they built a city in the middle of nowhere and they had the dream to build the city as the most beautiful in the world. I mean, it was difficult to build a city, but I mean, they wanted to have the city that was the most beautiful. Everybody walking in the city see the greatness and the beauty of the buildings and everything. I say all this because everything is linked with the jewelry tradition that is uh, a part of this aesthetic research that the Venetians, since the region, they wanted to do. And uh, tomorrow we will have the chance to visit, for example, a Paladoro that is in the Basilica of San Marco, that is a fantastic sample of this kind of tradition. But uh, if I have to be direct in answering your question, I have to say that, you know, Venice was built uh, as a part of the Byzantine Empire. And uh, the Byzantine people, they love, you know, gold and especially color stones. The Venetian love, for example, rubies or red stones. They call ruby, but I mean, there was sometimes garnets. And uh, coming from this tradition, starting in Constantinople, you know, the Venetians start to love jewelry and produce, you know, special kind of jewels that are sometimes uh, uh, using a lot of enamel and, and precious stones. You sit on the board of directors of the American non-profit organization of uh, Save Venice. So what do you do exactly? I'm a lover of my city. I suffer a lot of the problem that uh, the city is facing. I always say to my kids that uh, if you are lucky enough to have a certain kind of position, you have to give back in different way you know something i had the chance and the privilege to be part of this american organization that is called save venice that since uh, 50 years uh, is restoring the most important uh, art patrimonies of the city of venice last year i was nominated as vice president so it was another big privilege because actually we are just two italian two venetian that are member of this board of director so they are all american so it, it is very important so what you we are doing i mean we are restoring for more than one million us dollars every year things in the city of venice right now we are facing with the restoration of the very important basilica of santa maria assunta in torcello that is the first church that was built in the lagoon of venice or with a very important uh, Titian uh, painting called L'Assunta in the Basilica of the Frari. So, I mean, 
for me, it's funny to say it's a privilege because I have the chance to see fantastic things and touching them, understanding them, and uh, luckily also to tell to these American friends uh, where to spend their money. Do you want to add something about Moretti and your prediction of Moretti and the future of Moretti? You know, the future is very challenging, to be honest. You know, I'm very, uh, as I say, you know, I'm very positive about this new collection. But, you know, we will continue to make them. I think as independent jeweler, we have, uh, of course, to enlarge our position And, uh, you know, my dream, uh, I always say to everybody ask me, uh, is to make of Nardi, you know, an international niche brand. In all this concept, uh, I would love that also our tradition and also our Moretti will be more considered and uh, they will probably find a new uh, clientele in new countries. So thank you, Alberto Nardi. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you to you. And it was a great pleasure to talk with you. To continue this journey for jewelry and its fascinating characters, subscribe to TFJP Talks Jewelry Woods.